Matthew 8, reading from verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and I heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, but soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to, and he cast out the spirits with evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but a son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? Amen. Well, thank you, Candice and uh, Craig and Freddie for leading us so far. Um, well done to those of you who've uh, made it here after the weekend. It's a long weekend, tiring weekend. Just if you see anyone who's been away on the weekend falling asleep, just let them sleep. It's fine. Um, they, need, they obviously need it. If, it. if someone's falling asleep and they haven't been on the weekend, they throw something at them, um, nudge them, wake them up. Um, let's, let's pray as we come um, to this part of God's Word and ask for His help. Lord God, our Father, we come with all sorts of things going on in our lives, and we come perhaps tonight with a bit of physical weariness, and so we ask for your help, just to help us to be alert and that we can listen to your word well. 
And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would use what we've heard just read to us tonight uh, to change us. Lord, that we might be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Uh, Amen. Well, please keep that passage open there in front of you. We're not going to look at all of those verses tonight, just a bit in the middle, verses 18 um, to 22. Um, We'll focus there. Now, it's important to know what you're getting into. We live in a world full of amazing offers uh, that promise a better life. Buy nine months gym membership, get three months free. Turn the flab into rock-hard abs. Put your cash in this financial scheme and get this amazing return on your investments. Try these hair implants and say goodbye to that shiny dome forever. Just telling you the kind of things that pop up on my social media feed these days. We're used to offers of life-changing products, but we often view them with a sense of skepticism, don't we? We know that those selling it to us will only mention the benefits, that they overplay the positives to get us to buy in. We know, don't we, that these things often sound too good to be true, The costs, the drawbacks, the side effects, they're all kind of hidden away, out of sight. And we only find out about them later on when it's too late for us to back out. And so the smart thing to do, of course, is to investigate any offer, to know for sure what you're really getting into. And of course, that's even more important when what we're being offered claims to be so significant that it will affect not only our whole lives, but even our eternity. When the stakes are that high, we really need to know what we're getting into, don't we? We need to go in prepared in full view of the facts. And that's what this section of Matthew's Gospel reveals to us. It tells us what we can expect if we are to follow Jesus Christ. What can you expect if you choose to follow Jesus And I know that's a live question for some here tonight. Uh, You've been looking into Christian things, been coming to church perhaps for a while, and you're thinking seriously about whether to commit your life to following Jesus. Well, this is a great passage for you to hear. In this short passage from Matthew 8 tonight, those verses 18 to 22, Jesus speaks to two men who are at that point of decision in their lives. They've heard Jesus' offer. They've heard him offer eternal life in his kingdom. And they're choosing whether to follow him or not. Now, at this stage in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been demonstrating by a series of miraculous healings that he is bringing in a kingdom, a kingdom free from sin and from sickness from disease and disability and death. Now, there's a slide that will come up on the screen behind me. This is on the inside of your service sheets um, as well. This is what Matthew 8 to 10 um, looks like. So there's nine miracles over Matthew 8 to 10, which are in three groups of three. And we had the first three uh, last week. And Roger said last week, if you were here, Uh, that these miracles, they're kind of like a show home. Uh, They give you a glimpse of the wonderful kingdom that Jesus will bring about in its fullness when he returns. 
It's a kingdom of life where everything that is broken is fixed and everything that's wrong is put right. It's a kingdom that's perfect. And Jesus offers this kingdom to us. He offers eternal life in this kingdom if we will repent and place our faith in him, if we will follow him. And it's an amazing offer. And many people are attracted by that offer. The crowds gather around him. They hang on his every word. They're amazed at his teaching and his miracles. And they start to follow him. And so it's important that Jesus sets their expectations rightly. He wants them and us to know that though his kingdom will come in all its fullness, that he will eventually fix everything that's wrong once and for all, that his miracles are just a glimpse of that, its fullness is not yet available to his disciples, not until he returns. After he returns, well, well then life for the followers of Jesus will be perfect, but until he returns, things will be quite different. And so Jesus doesn't hide from us the hard bits He's not some smooth-talking salesman who's hiding the problems to get us to buy in. He's plain-spoken, he's upfront about the challenges that await those who follow him. And that's what we have here. If you just move the slide on, uh, Isabel, thank you. So interspersed between these sets of three uh, miracles, these great miracles, are sections about discipleship, about following Jesus. So we had the first three last week. We had the healing of the leper and the centurion's servant and Peter's mother-in-law. And that's followed by this section on discipleship. Follow me, it will be painful. That's the focus tonight. But that's not the only thing that Jesus says about discipleship. Um, In the next passage, next week, we have three more miracles. We have the storm and these two demon-possessed men and a paralytic. And then there's another section on discipleship, and this time it says, follow me, this time to Matthew himself, the writer, follow me, and we're comforted there that following Jesus means not mourning, but joy, rejoicing. Follow me, it will be joyful. And then three more miracles and a big block of teaching through chapter 10, where Jesus sends out his disciples and he tells them to expect the same treatment he receives, take up your cross and follow me. So that's the structure, that's what's going on in this section of Matthew. Now, why show you that? Well, just two reasons. Um, One is that you don't think that the message tonight about the pain of discipleship is the only thing Jesus says about discipleship. It's not. There are joys too, and we'll see them in a couple of weeks' time. Um, But two, I think when you see what Matthew's doing, when you see that structure um, there, his careful arrangements, you grasp something about what's going on. You see, the nine miracles prove that Jesus is God's king, that he is the Messiah, that he's the Son of Man, that he has authority to bring in God's kingdom on earth. It's plain to see the offer that he makes is a genuine offer. He's the king of that kingdom. He can make that offer to us. And then weaved into that is the response that we need to make. If he can do all this, all those nine amazing things, if he can do all that, well, then, of course, we have to follow him. 
whatever it takes. Follow me, says this king. That's the response. And he's going to tell us what that following uh, looks like. So that's the framework. Well, let's, let's take that off the screen. Thank you. And let's get back to this section, uh, verse 18 to 22. And we'll deal with it in two parts uh, with these two potential disciples. So here's the first encounter. King Jesus says to his prospective followers, verse 18 to 20, he says, don't rush in. Understand that you must surrender your comforts. Verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, to the other side of the lake. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, why is Jesus talking about woodland creatures and uh, their homes? Well, Jesus is about to leave his home territory. He's in the Jewish area, and he's about to travel to the Gentile area on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But before he gets into the boat, he's approached by these two men, these two prospective disciples, and the first of whom, uh, we're told, is a scribe. Now, that's actually a bit of a surprise. Um, The scribes were kind of the academic theologians of Jesus' day. They were the Old Testament experts. They copied out the scriptures um, very, very carefully, and then they taught them to others. But the big surprise is that the scribes were almost universally opposed to Jesus throughout his life. They generally, they hate Jesus. They want to get rid of him. But not this guy. This guy is super enthusiastic, isn't he? He's heard Jesus' teaching, he's seen his miracles, and he's fully on board. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And you think, well, this is great. Jesus is going to love this guy. Stick him in the 12, Jesus. That's exactly the kind of disciple that you're after, isn't it? Well, we might think that, and I'm sure this guy thought that. But it seems that Jesus doesn't think that. In fact, Jesus seems to think that this man has just not thought things through, that he's rushing in to this decision without considering the cost. He needs to understand that following Jesus means surrendering your comforts. Verse 20, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is the first time in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. This is his favorite way of speaking of himself. It's a term from the book of Daniel. It's a term for the glorious figure of God's King, the one whom God will give the authority to reign over his everlasting kingdom. And the scribe would have known that title, I think. He would have associated it with great power and authority and glory. Following the Son of Man would have been very attractive to him. Which is why what Jesus says here is all the more shocking, isn't it? So you might think that following the Son of Man, given all that background, following the King of God's kingdom, that's going to mean access to palaces and to throne rooms and to great wealth and status. And of course it will mean that in the end, won't it? 
when the kingdom comes in its fullness. But in the here and now, in this life, Jesus says, you need to know that following me, following the Son of Man, means giving up your comforts. Jesus himself has made that decision. He's come from the comfort of heaven. He's come to this earth from the glory of heaven's throne room to a life of poverty, never settling down, never owning his own property, never having a permanent home, and eventually being rejected and arrested and then killed. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus' life is one that ends on a cross where he will die for the sins of his people at the hands of his people. It's great that this man's enthusiastic to follow Jesus, but he's too hasty. Before you rush in and follow me, says Jesus, are you prepared for it to affect your comfort in this world? To be a disciple of Jesus is to know that this world is not your home. It's to sit loose to your possessions. It's to be prepared to give up your comfort for the sake of Christ and his gospel. Now this is as important for prospective followers of Jesus today as it was for this scribe back then. Here in the West, our core values are that of self-fulfillment, and not self-sacrifice. Come to believe that life is about fulfilling our own desires, being true to ourselves. The idea of willingly laying down your desires to serve someone else is becoming unthinkable. And within that, of course, one of our most worshipped idols today is the idol of comfort. We feel that we need this gadget or this car, or this house, or to eat in this kind of restaurant, or to go on this type of holiday. We feel we must have this standard of living in order to have a happy and fulfilled life. Now, Jesus isn't saying that any of those things are bad. In fact, they're good things. But they can easily become in our minds things which we think we deserve, or that we must have, things that it's not reasonable to live without. And at that point, they become idolatrous and they get in the way of the kind of radical discipleship that Jesus is asking of all those who follow him. Are we prepared to give up our comforts to follow Jesus wherever he calls us to go? Now, what might that look like? Well, it might look like moving to a part of town or to another town where the neighbourhood is less desirable, where the school standards aren't that great, where crime levels are higher, but where there is a great gospel need to serve a small church there. Will we do that for him? Or are we prepared to take a less demanding and lower paid job in order to have more time to serve our small group or to serve our youth group on a Friday night. That's not as comfortable, is it? Or perhaps even, are we prepared to take a, a higher paid, a more demanding job, or even start our own business, 
but not to improve our own comfort levels, but so that we can then give away and use those extra resources to support gospel workers, whether that's in Manchester or Mali or the Middle East. That too is a way that we can put aside our own comfort to follow Jesus Christ faithfully. So we can be creative as to, to how we use our time and resources. There's not kind of only one fixed, specific way that we have to live. But Jesus is calling us to a life that is uncomfortable. Follow me, says Jesus, and it will be painful. And some of us had um, the privilege yesterday of going to the Living Outs conference over um, in Brunsfield. And we heard there the testimony of people who experience same-sex attraction. Uh, but because of what Jesus teaches about marriage, they've stayed single and celibate um, throughout their lives. And it was really moving to hear of uh, how they've, they've laid down their desires to be faithful to Jesus, to follow him. It is costly for them. It is painful. And they were realistic about that. But what was amazing was that not one of them regretted it. Because they'd found that whatever the cost might be, and there was a real cost, and there is a real cost, it was incomparable to knowing Jesus. For them, following him was worth the cost. And many of us in, the, in this room are living lives where we have given up stuff to follow Christ. Whether that's wealth or time or energy or career opportunities or relationships. Well, let me encourage you that the discomfort that you feel for the sacrifices that you've made are normal for following Jesus and they are worth it. And if perhaps tonight you're on the edge, you're not sure whether you're going to commit to following Jesus or not, you haven't yet made that commitment, well, be glad that Jesus hasn't hidden anything from you. The cards are on the table. There's no small print here. You know what you're getting into. You need to know that there are eternal joys. There are eternal rewards. It is worth it. There is a seat at the table of the kingdom on offer to you. But also in this life, if you're to follow him wholeheartedly, Jesus says it will be painful. There will be things that you need to leave behind. He sets out the terms up front. Full disclosure. Don't rush in. Count the cost first. Be prepared to surrender your comfort. That's the first thing that Jesus says to potential followers. Let's turn now to the second. Uh, this is verses 21 to 22, where he says, don't put it off, give Jesus your highest allegiance. It's verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Isn't that quite shocking? I mean, what a thing to say. Jesus sounds very harsh here, doesn't he? How can he say such a thing? I mean, 
aren't we told in the Bible to honor our father and mother? Isn't that one of the commandments? Well, yes, that's right, it is. And in fact, later in the gospel, uh, Matthew, Jesus himself repeats that commandment and teaches his followers um, to do just that. So, that. so what's going on here? It's a little bit of a puzzle um, for us. Well, what do we notice about this man? Well, first of all, this man's called a disciple. And he, he calls Jesus, uh, this time not teacher, he calls him Lord. He's respectful. He does want to follow Jesus. But before he does that, he feels he has an obligation to his family. Now, it's highly unlikely that this man's father has just died. Um, if he had, he, he certainly wouldn't have been there talking uh, to Jesus. In that culture, people were normally buried on the same day and um, that they died. So he would have already been caught up in the arrangements. He wouldn't be there if that was the case. That's not what's happened here. In all probability, this man's father is very much alive and may even have many weeks or months or even years uh, to live. The firstborn son did have an obligation to care for his parents in their latter years. It was his job to provide for them. And it was his job to care for them in their old age and then to bury them, to arrange uh, the funeral for them and the mourning afterwards. So what's going on here? is that this man is indefinitely putting off following Jesus until he feels his other obligations to his family are fulfilled. He's saying, look, I will follow you, Jesus. I fully intend to, but I just can't at the moment. I've got other things that are more important right now. I will, but just after I've taken care of everything else. I wonder if you've ever heard anyone say something like that. It's an excuse that many people still make today is putting off Jesus, putting off following him for a more convenient time. So you see, if the first man was too hasty, well, this man is too hesitant. And Jesus sees, I think, that if this man does not take this opportunity to follow him now, he never will. That's why he speaks so strongly in verse 22. Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. He's speaking strongly to make his point. He's saying, look, there are plenty of people who will look after a funeral. You're making excuses. Your family obligations, important though they are, they cannot be the highest priority if you want to be in my kingdom. Now, how can he say that? Because of who he is. He's the son of man. He's the Messiah. He's God's king of his everlasting kingdom. Jesus is the center of the universe. And so he deserves your highest allegiance. He doesn't fit around your life. You need to fit your life around him. He won't be sidelined while you deal with other priorities. And he won't be put in second place behind your other loves, even your family. Following Jesus means he must be number one for you because he's number one in the universe. He's the son of man. He's God's king. 
all other loves, all other allegiances, even of good things like your parents, they must fall behind your love for him and your allegiance to him. Later in chapter 10, Jesus will be even more clear. Chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's very challenging stuff, isn't it? And again, does this not touch on one of the great idols of our culture? If one idol that needs to be pushed off the throne is that of comfort, well, another is family, isn't it? Isn't family one of the great barriers to following Jesus? The person who's considering following Jesus, one of the common things that someone might say is something like this. Look, look, I know that following Jesus is the right thing to do, but my spouse won't like it. I can't become a Christian until they do. I've heard that said many times um, over the years. Or a parent who says, look, I know all this is true, but my kids will kick off. It will be too hard. Maybe when they've left home, then I can take it seriously. Or the other way around, the student who says, look, I want to follow Jesus, but I know my parents won't approve. Maybe, maybe when I've left home, maybe I'll be able to follow Jesus then. All those, all those scenarios, they're real things that people um, have said to me. And I've seen people at that point of decision, knowing that Jesus is God's king, just say, no, the cost is too high. And it's devastating because, well, in my, in my experience, more often than not, that becomes a settled position. Not exclusively, but more often than not. The opportunity doesn't come later. And in the meantime, what happens is the person's heart often gets harder and harder towards Jesus. So please don't put it off. Please give Jesus your highest allegiance and follow him now. He's the king. His kingdom is offered to you if you will just acknowledge him as such. It will be painful. Jesus is fronting up about that. But you will never ever regret it. Don't put it off. What about those of us who are already following Jesus? What's Jesus saying to us here? What if we've already made that call and we're seeking to follow him um, in our lives? Well, perhaps I think he's saying this to us tonight. Am I still number one? Do I still have your highest allegiance above all other loves, even your family, those people who are most precious to you? Will you put your loyalty to me first if they pull in a different direction? Will you follow me even if, you, if they do not? Some of us are in that position right now and it's really painful. It's very hard. 
but Jesus is king. And so we stick with him. Now, at the end of all that, you might think that Jesus really needs to work on his sales pitch. Is this really the way to get people to follow him? But aren't we glad that he's honest with us? About the offer, but also about the cost. The glory of heaven's kingdom awaits those who follow him. There will be a future where everything broken is fixed, where everything wrong is put right. And on that day when Jesus returns and we rise to meet him, he will say, welcome. He will say, here is your eternal home. And he will say, here is your eternal family. And then we'll know, won't we, that the costs that we have paid for following him in this life are nothing compared to what we have gained through him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have been honest with us tonight, that you have not papered over the challenges, you've not hidden them away, you've not lied to us. We thank you that you are real about how difficult it is to be a disciple of Jesus in this life. Lord God, we pray for those tonight for whom they're on the edge of that decision. We pray, Lord God, that you would help them tonight to put their trust in Jesus and follow him. We pray too, Lord God, for those of us here tonight, and there'll be many of us who are really feeling the cost Strengthen us, we pray. Help us to remain faithful. And help us too to fix our eyes and our minds on the kingdom that awaits us. We thank you that there is an eternal reward awaiting for those who follow Jesus. We praise you in his name and ask for his help and your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.